This episode of the Behind the Shield podcast is brought to you by 5.11 Tactical, a company that I've used for well over a decade, and they are offering you a 15% discount on every order. And I will tell you that code in just a moment, but I want to do another product highlight. And I can testify, as with the other ones, through personal experience. I wore a 5.11 uniform way back when I worked for Anaheim Fire in California, so we're talking 13 years ago, and I know for a fact that some of my brothers and sisters I work with still wear some of the clothes that they were given when I was hired there, so some of the job shirts, jackets, and this really kind of resonated with me because I realized so many of the departments I've worked at, there are men and women with lockers crammed with old, worn, frayed uniform. And that really represents wasted budget. So to have uniforms with durability means that you don't have to purchase them as often. Now you can apply that budget elsewhere. Another area they've really focused on is redesigning their women's first responder uniforms. I am a skinny six foot tall man and some of these uniforms I'm issued literally hang off me like a trash bag. And I can imagine it's even worse being a female first responder. So they have really taken that into account and redesigned the cuts so they're far more flattering to the female firefighter, first responder, medic, etc. On top of that, several departments I work for have gone from job shirts to polo shirts. 5.11 has those. And then to underline a product I've already talked about, they have the footwear. I wore the CST slip-on boot for a long time from 5.11. And now the Norris sneaker that you've heard me talk about is a lightweight duty boot that puts far less pressure on the ankles and knees, the back, etc. So as I mentioned before, they are offering you guys a continuous 15% discount. And all you have to do is use the code SHIELD at checkout at 511tactical.com. So once again, code SHIELD at 511tactical.com. Welcome to episode 253 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and I am very excited to welcome this week marketer turned comic maker Skip Winter. So Skip initially was in the business world, found himself doing a marketing campaign for Toyota in which he started a comic, which then transitioned into an altruistic project helping the responders of 9-11 and the other citizens that were affected as well. So a very interesting conversation, very different than some of the ones we've had before. So before we get to the episode, please take a moment, if you haven't already, to subscribe to the show and leave a rating and feedback. So whether it's Stitcher or iTunes, whatever you listen to this on, the more ratings that we get, especially five star, the more visible we are to other people looking for this show. And then use word of mouth, email, social media, whatever you can to share these amazing episodes. The more people that hear this, the more we're able to help and the more we're able able to spread the word, the charitable organizations, all the things that our guests are trying to do to make the world better as well. So with that being said, I introduce to you Skip Winter. Enjoy. Skip, I want to welcome you to the Behind the Shield podcast. Hey, how's it going, man? Good, good. So first question is always, where on planet Earth are we finding you today? Well, I always like to tell people that I'm north of Boston, so they don't think I'm like in Siberia, but I am in the very southern tip of Maine, uh, which is about 45 minutes north of Boston. So it's a little, little town called Elliott, Maine. Brilliant. All right. So I love to start with, you know, literally the beginning. So... 
Um, where were you born and what was your family dynamic like? I was born in uh, right outside of Philadelphia, a town called Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. I always tell the story because I was born in the same hospital where my father passed away. So, I, yeah, I guess I've got a pretty interesting story. My my parents, uh, actually one was from kind of rural Philadelphia area. I actually grew up on a farm, born in a farmhouse. My father was actually a World War II veteran. So they were about 22 years apart. So I got a pretty interesting, you know, and I grew up in a town that was more, it was a steel town, one of the Bethlehem steel towns. Uh, that was a very tough town. As a matter of fact, today it's got one of the highest crime rates in the country. Um, so, you know, older brother, sister from two different marriages. My, since my dad was much older, he had a, uh, you know, he got married coming back from World War II and that didn't work out. And then he ended up meeting my mother, lucky him, who was, you know, 22 years uh, younger. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, like I said, but, you know, pretty normal, you know, I would say we were, yeah, maybe, you know, blue collar, notch above, but the town we lived in, uh, was a real tough, like I said, steel town with a, with a kind of an urban feel. So I, I got some exposure to, you know, um, uh, I guess a very diverse group of, you know, but a diverse community. And, uh, I think that partly shaped kind of what I'm doing now and what I'm putting into into you know into the into the comic book right now one thing that I I talk about a lot on on this podcast is is PTS PTSD the effects of war um did your dad ever talk about the war did you ever see anything you know manifesting from his time over there you know I'll be honest my dad was older than my mother but he passed away from cancer when I was 15 and I learned some I heard some of the stories that he was in the South Pacific and uh you know, I know where he was, but uh, I, I didn't get that many. I didn't get that into it, I guess, because I was young. But and I can say this now, looking back, my dad was a functioning alcoholic. Um, so and and I would I would have to guess, knowing him, that there was a lot of, you know, a lot of that PTSD going on with him. And this was before the days they even diagnosed anybody with PTSD. Um, but, you know, looking back, you know, I would say that he probably exhibited a lot of signs of that. Um, particularly with drinking and, you know, um, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's interesting because, I mean, we we're told that like PTSD is just diagnosed recently, but then you look historically, I think I want to say it was the Civil War. They referred to it as a soldier's heart. Um, World War One. I, I think it was uh, shell shock. More recently, the thousand yard stare. And then finally, we, we gave it an acronym. But I mean, it's it's existed for a long, long time. Right. Yeah, no, I, there's definitely, like I said, as I look back, you know, I was a teenager when he passed and, uh, but never really thought about it that much, but he never really talked that much about the war really particularly, maybe because I didn't ask or I wasn't mature enough, but, um, I got a pretty interesting upbringing because of that, you know, being raised by, you know, most people that are my age, it would be their grandfather or even their great grandfather, you know, that, that was that old. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but, but I did get, I think I did learn, you know, a lot about respect from, you know, from, from him in a different way than I think kids learn today. Um, and I, and that's part, and that's kind of part of, you know, again, a lot of my upbringing is what I guess leads, leads to my thought process and, you know, whatever my political stance is, that kind of stuff. I think my father had a pretty profound impact on, on me and what I'm doing. Yeah. And then, then this calibration too, isn't it? If you've been, you know, in, like you said, the, the Pacific or Europe during those times, then I'm sure that gratitude piece is immense when you come back to the States or England or wherever you, you were from. And, you know, that 
uh, I'm sure is polarizing with some of the ridiculousness we hear now on the whining, um, you know, about what I quote unquote a bad day is. Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. I do remember one. There, my dad was in, um, my dad flew and I guess was kind of co piled a B 24 uh, bomber. Um, and he was stationed in Guadalcanal. And um, I don't even know exactly where Guadalcanal is, to tell you the truth. But me neither. I do, <laughs> yeah, I do remember one. And it's really sad because I was in college and I moved a bunch. But one of my relatives had sent me a letter that my father had written to uh, written to his mother uh, when he was sitting in the foxhole. He had just gotten to Guadalcanal and was in a foxhole for 24 hours while they were being shelled. And my dad managed to write this letter to his mother that was, you know, from what I remember, an amazing letter. Unfortunately for me, I was an irresponsible college kid and misplaced the letter. But you know, I do remember it was very graphic and it was really heartfelt and it was, it was really interesting, um, that he did that while in the foxhole. Like I can't imagine even myself or any kid from today's generation, you know, mentally handling that the way they did, the way that generation did. Yeah. And then there's an interesting thing as well, because I've talked about this a few times. Um, you had these amazing men and women. I mean, the women basically slotted right into what were the manly jobs before that. Um, and, but then you look at the fifties and I, I always ask people this and I haven't really, you know, found a, a reason, but you had these men and women, you know, fighting side by side with different nations, colors, creeds, you know, religions. And, you know, one eclectic group banding together to fight, you know, what was really evil at that point. And then the the 1950s, you're like, what the hell went wrong? We went to racism and sexism and, you know, so I'm always intrigued to see why that transition ended up putting us to to really what I perceive as the Victorian ages. And then we finally were able to claw our way back out again. Right. No, that is interesting. I mean, it's just that generation and that you know, that time in, in history is just pretty amazing. I mean, you know, for me, it's kind of funny, you know, that as a matter of fact, my book is compared some have said it's going to be the, is the next captain America. And it's a captain America in a way that is very modern. Um, you know, so that, polit- that political unrest and, and the evil that you speak of those that it, it gave way to, you know, where, where we are now. And that's the one thing that I, I guess I try to teach, you know, my kids, you know, is about the respect for that generation that we couldn't be here without. We wouldn't be here. None of us, you know, we'd all be probably wearing swastikas, you know, around the globe um, had had the, you know, had we not stepped in, at least this country stepped in and and uh, and the rest of the world and united together and, and, you know, beat down the evil, I guess, for lack of better terms. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. The, the, the whole Marvel series, the Captain America character was always my favorite. And I wasn't actually a big comic book kid. We didn't have like American comic books in England okay. for some reason very much. But, um, and it wasn't even so much the, the Nazi setting, but I mean, there definitely was that historical element as well. But it was so many of them were, you know, mutants or came from different planets or these kind of things. Right. But Captain America was a skinny kid. And yes, oh, yeah. there, there was a process, but it could also be perceived as hard work, training, you know. Right. And, but to be that underdog, that skinny kid that was so determined and had that fight in him. Yeah, that Steve he man- Rogers. Yeah, he manifested as this big, muscly guy, but it was basically a representation of that fight in the dog. Well, it's funny that you say it because I just, I, I, you know, as you know, I've been doing my own podcast. I just started it, you know, called Real Superheroes, and I had a, a, a 9-11 Coast Guard uh, first, first responder on, and he was, he's about my age, but he was talking about, you know, the difference between, 
back then was that the Americans have always, you know, seemed to have heart when it comes to that. We had, we had a big, you know, or, you know, or we wouldn't have been able to, you know, we wouldn't have been victorious in that, but it was all about heart. And that's what, and that's really what Steve Rogers is about. That's what a lot, that's what all my characters, you know, boil down to is, you know, uh, characters that are real, but at the end of the day, they've got a real heart and they're going to, and they do the right thing, you know, which is first responders to me. That's, that's what, you know, you, you read the media a lot of times and the media will uh, flip the script on, on somebody, a first responder who happens to make a mistake. Um, but at the end of the day, from the first responders that I've met, they all have good hearts and they all are trying to do the right thing. Like we all are, you know, and that to me is a real hero. You got, if you're born, of, you got a pure heart and your intentions are good. Um, I think that that's, that's, you know, that's kind of what I'm trying to get across with my book and, and that's hopefully how I'll, I'll in, in, you know, intrigue and intrigue readers and, and, uh, consumers. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear more about that, but with the media thing, you're absolutely right. And and I am so proud of, to stand alongside most of the firefighters, police officers that I've worked with in the last 15 years. And, you know, one thing that the media doesn't talk about is the conditions that contributed to some of these events where, you know, the result was maybe a loss of life that shouldn't have happened. But they never talk about how many hours has that police officer worked? Has that police officer been right. asleep? Have they been mandatory to another entire shift? Were they given training? Were they given the right equipment? Were they given right information on that call? You know, were they right. given options to do unarmed, you know, like jujitsu? And I mean, there's so many other layers right. to counter the fact that that person was like, I'm going to become a policeman. So one day, if I have the opportunity to kill a black person, I'll be able to. That whole mentality is so ridiculous. And of course, there are corrupt policemen, plumbers, firefighters, lawyers. They all exist, you know. Absolutely. But the thought that those people are looking for that opportunity, which is what we're being sold, is so nauseating. And I can't believe that we're getting that push time and time again. Yeah, the media tends to, to you know, to, to distort and, uh, you know, make make it their own. I mean, it, it really is amazing. Like I said, I can't. I can't tell tell you and the audience like how many great people I've met, first responders that are you know some of my best friends now. Um, and you know prior to that, you know here's a funny story. So in the past, well the past year I had been um, promoting my comic book and a car dealership who had a first responder program in New York City, and we started my ex girlfriend and I had started touring fire departments firehouses rather in new york city and i will go i'm like well you know what's next she's like police precincts and she's like oh no i'm like well why do you say that she's like because typically most people their interaction with the police is they're either getting a traffic ticket or a parking ticket or a speeding ticket or something that's a little bit potentially confrontational so they feel like they're in trouble and you know that's kind of one of the things where with my book as we get into it you know, over the past 10 months I've developed, you know, we're talking about doing a program called Comic Books with Cops, which would enable, which would allow comic, you know, the first responders, police and fire to kind of bridge the gaps into those communities that they serve. Um, and start out, you know, with your, you know, that you, when you were a kid and I was a kid, they put you in a fire truck, you thought, or a, or a police cruiser, and you thought it was the coolest thing in the world. But this would be a little easier because they could just, you know, they could have comic books wherever they go. And here's a comic book. And here's a comic book about, some first responders that are, they're real humans. They have real problems, but they're good people. And I think that is to me, that's a big part of my message is, you know, show who these guys are, the real heroes and the fact that they, you know, they do what they do every day. 
you know, to keep us safe. And, you know, that we say that, you know, who, who you call, who are you calling when, when you have an issue, you're going to call the police or fire. That, that's your first line of defense. And they're the first line of defense. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting. I had a, a guest, Lynn Sorensen on, and she um, was a firefighter and she actually created a comic called Fire Girl. And that specifically, I think, was was more identifying that women, you know, are perfectly able to do roles like firefighters and other other, you know, traditionally masculine roles. Um, and that woman empowerment, I know that's been received incredibly well. So I can see how how your project's going to be received well, too. Yeah, I've got actually I have two women are part of the unit five team. One's a police officer and the other's kind of a auto mechanic slash uh, fashion model. So, you know, I, I guess definitely, like I said, we can talk about how I engineered this comic book, but it is, it's kind of, it's all encompassing of a lot of the issues we're dealing with today. Excellent. All right. Well, let's, let's kind of go back so we can hear your journey even to into that in the first place. So um, at high school level, what were your career aspirations? What was your goal when you graduated? <laughs> well, it was either I was going to be playing, I was going to play professional basketball or be a professional skateboarder, to be honest. Um, I was, I grew up kind of, uh, I was pretty fortunate as a kid as an athlete. Uh, a lot of that fell apart when my father passed away. And, uh, you know, but um, that, those were kind of my real, like for, you know, back then, they were my, like the town that I grew up in, there were a lot of great athletes, you know, two, two buddies of mine played in the NFL and it was, it was that kind of town. It was, you know, it was steel town. It was tough. Uh, and I knew I wanted to go to college, but it was kind of how I was going to get there. Um, and for me, you know, I and, and the other side of the coin was the skateboard side of it. I happened to be, you know, I guess I was a uh, I was a decent athlete and it was going to be one of those things. And as a matter of fact, I ended up going to college. I didn't I, I ended up getting hurt my junior year playing basketball. I got hurt my junior year. Um, didn't end up playing basketball my first year of college because I didn't get recruited where I, where I thought I should play and, uh, went away to school, came home for Christmas break, just kind of speeding, you know, fast forwarding here and ended up getting recruited back to play basketball at a school in Maryland, um, which was a division one school, which is where I wanted to be. Um, and continued to skateboard, same thing, you know, I'm doing all this stuff, but I, I, I tended to kind of, I, I guess I was all over the place as a kid mentally after losing my dad. There was a lot of, you know, a lot of, I watched my dad die of cancer over the course of about, I think it was about four years. And that was, I think that impacted me a lot, you know, good ways because I came very mature, but in other ways it just, I, I just was not, I was not focused on anything. Um, so kind of, you know, the basketball career was fleeting at the school, skateboarding died. And I just, you know, after I went to college, which I, I ended up because of basketball, I got to go to a great school um, and uh, learned, I think, you know, it was a liberal arts education. But, you know, I guess I learned that I was a good communicator uh, and uh, whether it be written or or uh, verbal, um, ended up becoming a, a stockbroker out of college. That's, you know, that and that was not planned. But, you know, I guess my upbringing and my dad was a great salesman. Uh, maybe I inherited that, but that's kind of where I ended up after college was, you know, the, the athletic career. I'm still, I'm still huge into fitness. People that follow me know that I've got a pretty, you know, I got a big fitness kind of following. Um, so I kind of keep up with that. I like being fit, but yeah, was a stockbroker for a little while. And, and then, um, I ended up leaving that business actually on nine, right around nine 11 when nine 11 happened. Uh, I'd been in the business for a number of years at that point, And, uh, I built a decent little book of business and 
9-11 happened and it, and it flipped the world for me professionally upside down. And, uh, I decided that, you know, life was short. You know, I, I, I didn't mention this before, but I lost my father. And then, and then right after, right during this time I was a stockbroker, I lost my sister. Um, and so I was kind of the guy, I've kind of always been the guy that realized life is short. So I, I wasn't afraid to, um, jump out of the stock brokerage business and started my marketing company. <laughs> and that's kind of still what I'm mostly doing today. In addition to the comic book. Right. Now, is that the marketing company that led you to Toyota? It is. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what started it all. Yeah. And I did, you know, I did that from about 2003 in the, in the middle of that, I opened a couple of restaurants. I've always been entrepreneurial, as I said, all over the place and really self-diagnosed with ADHD now, even though as a kid, they, they diagnosed me with hyperact hyperactivity and wanted to put me on Ritalin, but they didn't. So, uh, but I did Toyota, I, you know, I still do some work with Toyota. As a matter of fact, yeah, this, the past 10 months has been all for Toyota. Um, but, uh, you know, that's kind of, like I said, I've done a lot of different marketing for companies like Nike and Skull Candy and Toyota being the big one and a lot of other auto manufacturers. And, uh, but the, the creative side of me is, uh, probably, you know, my, one of my strongest suits. And then, you know, when I got the opportunity to put this comic book promotion together, which we can get into, that was really interesting. And, and, and I kind of, I've certainly have flourished there, even though I'm not, I wasn't a huge comic book guy. I, to be honest, I, I love superheroes, grew up watching Super Friends and Spider-Man and the Amazing Spider-Man and Hall, you know, Justice League and all that stuff. And but I but I didn't buy a lot of comic books to read them. I actually bought them because I like the artwork. I've always been a fan of modern art, you know, um, like Andy Warhol and, and others. But uh, that's why I started. I bought comic books and cut them up and put them on the bottom of my skateboard. That's kind of was my that be, that was my kind of <laughs> comic book history. Brilliant. All right. So then let's talk about the comic journey then. What, what was your very first introduction into creating a comic yourself? So we were doing work uh, in – so Scion was the brand we were working for specifically, which was owned by Toyota. A lot of people didn't know that. And uh, they had a few epicenters in, in the country. So they had L.A., Miami, and New York. And New York was supposed to be you know, one of the big spots for it, like I said, epicenter for the brand. But it was struggling. Um, so they brought me in. I was actually covering the Boston region at the time. Um, and I did a lot of grassroots marketing events and promotions and things like that. So I, the word got that you know, I was pretty good at pop culture and understanding trends. And they bring me down to the, uh, into the New York region to help the struggling region and help some of their big dealers. Well, uh, um, dealership called Toyota Manhattan hired us on. We started doing some work for them. And it's kind of weird. The first event I ever did from that for them was a, uh, entourage the television show entourage party but we did it on 9-11 and i had had no real experience or connection to 9-11 you know other than what i worked and uh but uh i think that you know I, so they so they hire me i start doing these you know i start doing events for them and about 10 months in we had taken the dealership from like i don't know number 22 to the number two in the region or something ridiculous and I get a phone call one day from the manager of the region, who happens to be a good friend of mine now. And uh, he's like, hey, I bought some media, uh, which means I bought some movie tickets and commercials in the New York metropolitan area with, for The Dark Knight Rises, which came out in, you know, in uh, I think I think it came out in May of um, 2012. 
So he's like, listen, I need you to do something with this. So long story short is I created a program that connected the dealership of all places, and Toyota's a pretty conservative company, uh, to the five biggest comic book shops in the city. And what we did was we did a meet and greet uh, program dressed as the Dark Knight Rises uh, in throughout the city and created this whole program. Like if you went to the dealership and took a test drive, you got what were called comic book bucks, which gave you 10 bucks to go back to the comic book and spend on comic books. And it was incredibly successful. So a lot of we helped them sell a lot of cars. And over the course of the days that I'm doing these, you know, uh, field activations or being in the field, you know, dressed as Batman because I'm an idiot. I'm like, well, I'm the boss, so I'm going to be Batman, and I'm the tall, you know, I'm the tallest of the group. So I'm like, I'll be Batman. And it was 95 degrees, and I was in a rubber cowl and bat suit, and almost died. But <laughs> we saw thousands of people. I mean, literally, like it's almost like the TV shows where you see. You know, construction workers, and I did see construction workers yelling down the street, yo, Batman, like it was crazy. You would have thought I was Christian Bale. So I, you know, there was, there was at the time, there was a kid that worked for me who was big into comic books and his brother. Um, and he had always said to me, hey, let's, let's do something in my world. Cause I did a lot of, you know, a lot of events with motocross and skateboarding, all the things that, and basketball, things that I like to do. So we finished up this event, we're driving home. And I, it just kind of hit me. Um, and I was like, hey, look at this kid. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a comic book. He's like, we're going to do a comic book. He's like, who's going to write a comic book? I said, well, I am. And he's like, you're out of your mind. And, and if you know me, you know that I'm very, I'm, I'm confident, sometimes overconfident. Um, and uh, long story short, to speed it up, we got, well, the, the next question was, who's going to fund this thing? And I go, well, Toyota's going to fund this thing. And he's like, you're really out of your mind now. And then the last question was, who's going to draw it? And I said, your brother. And his brother hadn't drawn anything yet. So this was his brother's kind of, you know, uh, you know, although I think his brother got launched from this, you know, and, and he, did, he did quite a bit of hard work, but this was his launch. So his brother now draws for Marvel, which was an interesting story. So anyway, Toyota funds, we, we convince, I create this concept, which is unit five. It's five. So there are, and the reason I came up with the five characters is because there were five car models. Um, and each character is kind of born out of that. Their personality is born out of that particular car model. One's kind of a nerd, one's kind of sporty and on and on. So I write this comic book, Toyota funds it. We go to launch it at, and we do this over in the matter of like four months, um, maybe five months now, having never done this before. Um, and we're going to launch it near comic con and they're backing it hundred percent. Um, and, but it isn't so midsummer I'm, I'm writing this or maybe a few weeks in, uh, I get a call, I'm talking to the artist and he's like, listen, if you want me to really help you help you build these characters, you got to, we need more depth. He's like, you got to give me something. And then he hung up the phone as he's hanging up the phone. He said to me, you got to remember all great heroes are born from tragedy, Batman, Spider-Man, Superman, any of them are born. Most of them are born from tragedy. So I hung up the phone, didn't think much of it. And literally a few hours later, I end up calling his, his brother back, who was one of my best friends at the time. And uh, I go, 9-11. And he's like, it's a little dangerous, but it's brilliant at the same time. And from there, we, and, you know, and that 9-11 thing came from being in, being in New York and talking to New Yorkers and, uh, and um you know, becoming familiar with their stories because every New Yorker has a story. And it actually leads me to where I am today. When I talk to people about uh, my comic book, a lot, a lot of times the first question I will ask them is where were you on nine 11 and where were you on nine 11? 
I was actually in Japan, so I, I was a stuntman for Universal Studios, and oh, cool. I'd gone out to watch a film, I can't remember which film it was, with my now ex-wife, um, and uh, the first plane had hit, so we lived in this big C-shaped, 10-story um, building where all the non-Japanese performers lived, and downstairs was a TV. Normally, you get, you know, like two or three people hanging out there once in a while, but it was packed, so we walked in, I'm like, well, fu- shit, what's going on? And they said, oh, a plane's flown into the, the tower in, in New York. And I was like, oh, shit. And right when we stood there, I think about a minute after someone had told us what was going on was when the second plane hit. And that's obviously when we realized, okay, this wasn't an accident. But I wasn't a fireman. And like I said, I was a stuntman. And I actually became a fireman once I moved back to the States. Interesting. Interesting. And a lot of people, because of that event, decided to go into the military, become a first responder, all that stuff. And, I, you know, it, it's... It's actually it, it was a good thing I think because I think at the time the country needed that you know we did all we did all after nine eleven after they after people got over the you know worried about their neighbor that was a Muslim and realized that Muslims are good people too I think it we became a a tighter country you know not that we're there now which is part of the reason I like Unit Five is you know hopefully bringing people together but you know it did cause a lot of guys to become firefighters police officers and military and that was a great I think that was a great you know, um, consequence or unintended consequence of 9-11 is that we did come together for a number of years. And I think that did, you know, it helped us rally. Um, so I uh, actually, when I tell people this, I was like, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, there's a lot of people out there that will say that, Hey, they were there at 9-11. There's a lot of frauds out there. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm really honest on where I was. I was, a, I was a stockbroker, a young stockbroker with a young family and in, in uh, outside of Boston. And, um, I watched it all. And the, gr- the good thing for us was that we being in that business, we were connected to all the news media. We, you know, so we got to see a lot, obviously, you know, it was a lot of it, some of it graphic and still remember it to this day. But, uh, so I was tuned in to nine 11, um, and, but wasn't there. So I need to be clear about that. Cause I don't want anyone to think, you know, this guy's claiming he was there. Um, but, uh, so we, so I create this, you know, again, five characters from the five boroughs. That was the other thing I didn't mention is there five, char- five cars, five characters, five boroughs. It was all, everything kind of, I think things happen for a reason and, and they just fell into place for me in writing this story. And it made it a lot easier for a rookie comic book writer who had never written a comic book to write something that would be interesting. Now, my first book, which we launched at New York Comic Con, there was nothing, you know, the only good thing about it were the characters and the backstory. Other than that, you know, the artwork was from a fledgling artist. I hadn't written a comic book. We printed the wrong size comic book. It was not on great paper. I mean, th- there's just so many things that were against us, but people wanted to hear the story. And it was long enough, far enough away from 9-11-2001 that it wasn't an overly sensitive topic. And even at the time... We didn't have there was no philanthropic piece or mission to Unit Five. It was just kind of it was a for it was a for profit promotion uh, that we got paid to do, and we did it gladly. And you know, um, it, it wasn't nine eleven heavy. We didn't I didn't really talk about nine eleven in it, but people knew the characters were, were kind of born from nine eleven. Um, and uh, so we go to New York Comic Con, and we literally the guys were laughing at me. They're like, they were say, hey, you should get some sharpies. I'm like, for what? They're like, because you might sign some autographs, and they were actually teasing me like you're not going to sign any order you're going to be dead and i signed we as a group signed about 
three to four thousand books that weekend in four days. I mean, it was crazy. So after that, we knew we knew we had something. And it right after that, long story short, as I'm driving to you know driving to New Jersey to see my mother and I look at the kid that's the comic book nerd that's with me. And I go, hey, what's the, you know, what's Kevin Smith's comic book shop's name? He's kept, for those that don't know, Kevin Smith is Silent Bob, Jay and Silent Bob, and uh, the, you know, the producer director of Clerks and all that stuff. And he has a comic book shop called The Secret Stash, which is in Red Bank, New Jersey. So he's like, you're not thinking of going there, right? I'm like, yeah, we're going to go there. And this comic book, if, if you saw the comic book I had, you know, for the, for the layman, you'd think it's decent, right? So, but I'm like, I'm a, I'm a sales guy, I'm a pitch man. And I'm confident. So we walk into this comic book shop, which is, I believe at the time they were filming, I saw com or not, I saw comics. They were filming comic book, man. I think might not be that you might not have been maybe for the year after, but anyway, this is the, this is the place. It's kind of like, it'd be like walking into, um, I don't know, uh, a Bill Gates kind of office. Like it, it was the epicenter of the universe really from what I knew of comics. And we walk in there and I meet, Two guys who are good friends of mine now, Mike and Ming, they ended up being on Comic Book Men, the television show. And we show them the book. And they really liked it. They go, for a first attempt, this is really good. And you got probably the most amazing backstory we've had in 50 years. Um, outside of Cap, you know. like, And that's kind of where the, the comparisons to Captain America came in. So they hire, they bring us in. We go on this podcast. And uh, we were a hit on the podcast. Not only because the comic book was interesting, but because we're... You know, we were pretty, uh, you know, we were pretty wild on the podcast and uninhibited. And uh, once that happened, it just kind of things started to. Uh, well, I should say this: Toyota of the the region decided they didn't want anything to do with it anymore. However, the national Toyota did pick up a sponsorship of it, but they were like, "Yeah, you can, this is this comic book's your property. You can go ahead and you know do what you got to do with it." And um, so. The national, the region sponsored us. We continued. I produced two more episodes. Went to a ton of comic cons, and in the meantime, personally, I'm going through a divorce, um, which is putting me in a financially, as you know, you've been divorced, and put me in a financially uh, terrible, terrible spot. Not only that, you know, to be completely honest, like mentally, I was not, I wasn't all there. I mean, I was just, it was, you know, I, you know, dealing with trying to, you know get myself situated, having three kids, support them, pay my, pay my ex-wife. I mean, it was a, I was in a disastrous state of state of mind for a lot of years. Um, just kind of coming out of that now, but, um, <clears throat> so kept going with the book. Um, you know, it had, you know, and that's the other thing people ask, well, why, you know, why isn't the book, you know, as big as a Marvel book or huge now? And, and the real reason is because financial resources weren't there to enable me to do the marketing that I needed to do. And I also can admit, you know, maybe I wasn't making the best decisions at the time because I was just mentally, emotionally wasn't there. Um, but nonetheless, you know, if you fast forward till now where we are and even in the past 10 months, it's come light years from where it was from, you know, a fledgling comic book with really no sense of mission uh, other than, you know, developing characters and having a 9-11 backstory to, you know, a, a comic book with a, with a, a social mission, um, you know, that can, I think really heal some wounds between communities and, and first responders, um, and help bridge those gaps there. And, and also, you know, has the, the, the potential to be, a, a an entertainment franchise that funds first responder, 
uh, organizations that benefit and celebrate those those guys. I mean, that's really where it's where it's come for me. It's really it's gone from a comic book promotion to something with a mission. And and if people that know me will tell you that I'm pretty relentless. Like I, I've just been the past ten months have been another part of the journey, which we can talk about for sure. Yeah, so I'd love to. So, but before we do that, though, were there any interactions with civilians or first responders that were directly related to nine eleven that really stuck with you and were, were the undercurrent for you shifting to this altruistic yes. approach? Absolutely. Uh, there was. It might have been. It might have been our second, our second Comic Con, and uh, hang on one second. Sorry. It might have been our second Comic Con, and it was in New York City, and. I had met, I don't know who I met first, but I met a family who's a woman, actually, I still stay in contact with her, whose husband was um, dealing with eye cancer. And I said, well, how, how do you get eye cancer? She said, well, they're not 100% sure, but he was a welder, a uh, civilian welder down at Ground Zero, and he's now battling eye cancer. So it was kind of, you know, I didn't really put two and two, two, and two together yet because no one was talking about post 9 11 illness. Even in, this was like, not that long ago, but I guess in my circles, they weren't talking about it. Maybe they were on their circles, you know, in the inner circles, but you know, I hadn't really heard much about it. And then I, um, the next meeting I had was with a gentleman whose name's Bill Gleason. He's actually battling some post nine 11 on this right now. Um, he gave me, you know, he liked what I was doing. He gave me this challenge coin. I've never seen a challenge coin before. And he told me a story about a magician. The only magician that was lost on nine 11 was, a, I guess he was EMS, uh, firefighter. And at that point, you know, that's when it went from a kind of for-profit, you know, marketing promotion to something with a mission, to something that, you know, could give back. And I, and I guess I've always been that way. Like, I, you know, I'm the guy that literally a couple of weeks ago, a buddy calls me and he's out of gas on the, on the freeway in L.A. He's like, I'm out of gas. I got zero money in my bank account, whatever. Can you spot me? And I, tech, you know, I, I pay out him some money. But that's just the way I am. Because I always kind of look at it as I wish or I hope when I'm in that situation, someone will do the same for me. And I should mention, I've got some pretty good supporters that have kind of always come through for me, too. So I kind of feel like that's that's when it might have been 2000. I think it was probably 2014 when that happened. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 2014 because one of my old partners left and actually moved back to the UK or our old friends, I should say. And he was part of the book or helped anyway. Um, so that's when it all turned for me and it's gone, you know, it's, it's been full, full steam ahead with the social mission being, being the number one, you know, piece of the puzzle going forward since that point. Excellent. So then let's talk about your actual journey from, as you were saying, a profit driven project to realizing that you can also help, um, some of these foundations as well. Yeah. I mean, like I said, once I once I first once I met started meeting first responders, we then did a short film, which which um, which you've seen. Um, if you Google actually Unit Five Drift, you can some people can Google it on or on YouTube. Uh, type you know just type in that. Uh, that was a day. Another big piece of the puzzle I I had. I be, I don't know how I got to the police officer to be honest, but the the the, uh, the fireman was a chief. His name is Charlie Wells, who's actually going to be on my show soon. Uh, he was one of the only chiefs at 9-11. I think there are only four chiefs. And we get a police officer, my buddy Jerry Robody, who these guys have become very good friends of mine. And we went up on the rooftop at Toyota Manhattan, and we filmed um, segments on 9-11, which they normally don't talk about. 
Um, and it was at that point that I became, you know, very good friends with these guys, almost, you know, um, those guys, a lot of these guys call me their brother now because I, I, I've, you know, I've heard the stories. They talked to me and they told me like, they were like, Hey, we go to a bar. We don't talk about this. He's like, when we leave the bar and go in the parking lot, we talk about it. He's like, but what you're doing is special. What you're doing is preserving the memories of, you know, those lost at nine 11 and you're trying to help current first responders. How can we not support that? He's like, and, and if you watch the video, Charlie talks about, um, preparedness and vigilance and being, you know, prepared for another attack. Um, and he said, anything that is, that's going to, um, help with that, I'm going to support it. Um, so getting connected to those guys helped me quite a bit. And, and then also my story spreading a little bit, you know, I've been speaking, I've speak, spoken at, I don't know, three or four schools now. Um, cause that's another big part of my message is, 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 uh, helping that generation the kind of born in the shadows of nine 11 to understand what happened. And actually the other piece of that is, as I keep saying, who are, so they know who the real heroes are. Um, and, uh, so basically from that point on after the more and more I got entrenched with, with, um, you know, people that are first responders and, um, became a little bit a part of that world. Um, not that I do what they do or you guys all do, which is, you know, to me, very admirable, one of the most admirable things you can do. Um, I, just kept going with it and, and kind of it evolved to, you know, we did some donations to the FDNY foundation. I've done donations to some, you know, local fire departments, things like that. Um, but this past year has been really interesting and it's kind of, I guess timing's everything, right? I'm kind of getting my shit together. Uh, I'm getting more mentally, uh, prepared to, to run a real company, you know, one that could potentially compete with a Marvel I'm told. Um, but last year, about this time, I take my son, who was 14 at the time, down to the to New York to go to the 9/11 memorial, and I always parked at the Toyota building because they I've had a good relationship with Toyota Manhattan forever. Those guys, they're great people. Um, and I take my son to the 9/11 memorial, and we come back, and I hadn't worked with Toyota Manhattan in like five, four or five years, I guess. And we come back into the dealership, and there's a guy sitting at their front sales desk, and it happens to be the guy who helped incubate you know, or help us, you know, sponsored the first unit five. And he said, well, what happened to that comic book? And, uh, I said, well, yeah, it still exists. You know, it's, it's still there. And I hadn't been doing a ton with it cause just cause of capital. And anyway, he's like, well, I've got a program called shield. I guess they lost uh, a family member, um, from rescue five at nine 11. So nine 11, again, I'm back in New York, um, which again, epicenter for everything it seems, but certainly nine 11. And, uh, He's like, I've got this program called Shield, which is a benefit program for first responders. And this is like a legit program for first responders, meaning there's a lot of big companies that have jumped on. And I heard a lot of my friends talk about it, you know, like Verizon or whatever. Everybody's using, you know, first responders a buzzword. Well, everybody knows me and knows I've been doing it for almost eight years. So first responders is, is, is an authentic, genuine thing for me. Um, and this program called Shield, he's like, well, got this program we're having trouble promoting it we know you've got a reputation with these guys why don't you why don't we pair the things together so i do i, I go basically I like, let me think about it i go home and i created a co-branding or co-promotion between unit five and toyota manhattan shield program um and the program was enabled me that um that i could toyota manhattan sponsored the thing so they got you know branding advertising in the book and it essentially paid for my expenses or some of them anyway, to travel to, I went to every firehouse 
in in Manhattan and police precincts. I don't know how many I've been to in Manhattan, but a lot, many of them. So as I'm doing this, I'm developing more and more um, relationships and credibility with first responders. And, you know, there's been some certain key people there. Um, one of my friends is an EMS captain in Brooklyn. Um, things Will Marins, um, another guy who happens to be as part of the uh, NYPD special response group, um, David Pl- Damon Plonsinski. Uh, these guys have helped pave the way for me to get into places where you normally couldn't get and go in that I can walk in and do my presentation. I was talking about the comic book, talking about Shield, um, and uh, you know, it, it just became it, it's it's now become there's a there's a ground surge of, of, of energy behind it to the point where I've now brought on some new partners. I've kind of, my ego, I've checked my ego realizing that this, if this thing's going to be big, um, if I'm going to be able to give back in the way we want to do long-term, I need to bring on some, some people who are really skilled, some very smart business people. And I brought on a gentleman named Arvel Jones, who actually was an artist for Marvel and DC with Stan Lee back in the day, actually worked with Stan uh, I brought on another operations manager, a friend of mine. His name's Kia Banisad. He is kind of operations director of sales and, uh, you know, uh, a big part of this. So I've come in the past 10 months, light years, to the point now where what we're doing is finishing the business plan to present to actually a major a major celebrity who has interest in, in uh, being an angel to fund us to get to the next level. So uh, it's been – the last 10 months have been crazy. And I try to keep a lot of that close to the vest, which is why, and I can't say, like I said, who the potential celebrity is, but you all, everyone will know him. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, He's someone who's known for altruism as well. Absolutely. You know, and that's the other part of it for me is, uh, you know, finding people with, you know, a good heart, right? I've had other business ventures, you know, when I was younger, my restaurant, which was ruined by just some people that didn't have the right mindset. Now there wasn't a, there was no social mission like we have, but in order to be a part of my team, you have to be that kind of person. You have to be philanthropic. You have to be the person who's willing to, like you said, altruistic, willing to give back that kind of thing. So, um, now we're, we're in a place where this thing has real potential for, uh, Netflix series. We've already, that's scripts in the works. I had already written a feature film script, but it'll probably be written, rewritten, you know, video games, um, and, and a, a philanthropic arm called the Unit 5 Foundation, which this, and that will be my division. There's three divisions of this thing now. So it's kind of comic books and entertainment, which would be Arvel, right? Because he worked for Marvel and DC, uh, and he's run a bunch of companies. And then Kia is going to, Kia, my other partner, is going to run kind of operations and the video game division. And then I'm going to do what I do best, which is community outreach to first responders, fundraisers, that sort of thing. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, the strategy is in place now for this thing to be not only become the next big thing, Beck's big comic book, but potentially to become the next big entertainment franchise. And that sounds crazy. I, I tend to keep a lot of that close to the vest, but we're, you know, days away from finishing a business plan, which is going to go in the hands of this, this celebrity that I talked about, who's already given us a verbal commitment that he's in. I just don't know what, to what extent. But if he's in, I think the rest of the world's going to be in. So that's kind of where we are. Brilliant. Well, I want to talk about how you know everyone listening can can help. But before we do that, what we haven't talked about is the characters and kind of like the, the comic itself. So if you want to give us an overview of that so people have an idea of, of what the comic looks like. 
So as we talked before, this thing was a marketing and promotional campaign. And when you do, you know, any kind of campaign like that, you do your market research. So in short, I kind of reverse engineered uh, this comic book from a marketing campaign. So when I was doing, you know, looking at the way, I guess, the way the, the, way the world was then, we were, we were becoming um, uh, disjointed, I guess. We were, you know, we started, I think, that the, the patriotism and the, the, you know, be good to your neighbor things sort of started to unravel. So when I was putting these characters together, the five characters, I wanted them to be ethnically diverse, racially diverse, religiously diverse, as much diversity as I could put in there. So, and, and I also, there were certain other issues that I wanted to talk, you know, that I wanted to, to get across where, you know, uh, I've got two women, right. Who are part of the, you know, these characters. And as a matter of fact, just recently, Captain Marvel's is a woman, you know, so timing for me has been, I've been really lucky, but so there's two women, one's a police officer, one's kind of a high fashion model and a technology whiz or a, a, a automotive tech. There is an African-American who is a college professor. He's kind of the brains of the operation. His name is Brain. Um, there's a, a white kid named Box who grew up, you know, in the Bronx as kind of an urban hip hop legend kid. And then there is Drift, who is Drift is featured in the short film. Uh, he's the unknown. And for me, he people don't know this, but he came from. Um, well, I wanted his identity to be hidden, but if any, but you know, really dating myself here, but there's a cartoon show called Speed Racer, and Speed Racer had a brother named Racer X. Racer X never showed his identity, and he always showed up at, at you know, he was like this mysterious kind of badass who you thought could be, could be evil, but at the end of the day, he always showed up, and he was the good guy, and he came through. And I think, you know, through all the diversity of the characters that I have, the one thing that they all have in common is they're all about justice and they're all about doing the right thing at the end of the day. And, you know, the book initially was kind of an all ages thing. Now it's become more, you know, teen to adult. Uh, and we're going to have kids graphic novels and things like that, which will, which will, you know, be targeted towards that younger demographic. But, uh, you know, they have, they're relatable They're I, I kind of liken them to Batman but, you know, like one had, you know, once you read the feature film script, it's not so much in the comic book, but, you know, Brain has, um, he's, he's, he's a partier. He's, he's, you know, he's a, he's a drinker. He, he parties. He's a womanizer. You know, Drift deals with massive PTSD and depression and ADHD. Um, and, you know, another character is, um, is very immature, the, the hip hop guy. Um, the other, the one, one of the women struggles with relationships and dating bad, you know, horrible guys. And then Ollie, who is the police officer, she's a female police officer in Manhattan. She's actually evolving into a canine officer. She lost her mother in 9-11. So they all have a connection to 9-11. Brain lost his father. Um, Ollie lost hers. Um, Tech's father died from post 9-11 illness. Um, Drift, who his identity is unknown. His, um, his loss his wife rumored to have, rumored to have lost his wife and daughter uh, when the towers collapsed and he was there when the towers collapsed um, and then box his father was a you know a renowned DJ in New York City and MC and lost his hearing as a result of 9/11 so they all have a deep personal connection to 9/11 and you know the one thing I haven't spoken about is I think the power of the villains because I have some some 
incredibly powerful villains who were all connected to 9-11 as well. Um, the main villain, his name is GM. Uh, he's kind of bent on, you know, taking the world back to simpler times when, you know, we didn't, we didn't go out to dinner and look at our cell phones all the time, that kind of thing. Like he's, he's that, you know, he's a politician, which is interesting, uh, New York city, uh, mayor, but, uh, you know, he's setting himself up for, for a rise into next, the next level of politics. I won't, I won't do a spoiler, but you know, all of the characters I think have something, there's a character for everybody. You know, we, you know, we all tend to gravitate toward different superhero characters. You have your favorite for a reason, but I think that the, the, the fact that they're relatable and they have real human problems, they're not superheroes. I like to, you know, it's a, it's a hero book. It's not a superhero book. Um, and I think the other thing I like to tell people is, listen, this wasn't, uh, you know, uh, a young kid sitting in his basement, smoking pot, writing a comic book. It was very well thought out from, from kind of a marketing standpoint and how, how are we going to, I was always thinking, how am I going to get people to follow unit five or like unit five amongst the thousands of comic books were out there. And I think for me, it was just, you know, it was a lot of those factors, the diversity, making them relatable, making them human, they're humanizing them so that people could, you know, pick the favorite character. And, you know, at this point, I think we, we could be, followers in the millions were not just because only because you know again funding is always an issue for a startup and i think we're about to that about to get to that point where you know the world's going to know about unit five and i think they're going to follow up because they like the characters but they also like the mission yeah now um speaking of that it's interesting that the joker just came out and it was the first time i think that they've taken a character and it obviously wasn't set in the the batman story specifically but I thought it was an incredible view through the window of mental health and, you know, the underbelly of addiction, violence. Um, so this sounds like a great opportunity to use the, the fame and the, the readership of something like the comic book world and really infuse some real issues into it. Oh, and that's exactly, you know, it's funny. I keep saying timing has been perfect for me. Timing couldn't be more perfect because. You know, we rode this wave of Marvel, and I don't, and that's not gone. But the whole CGI wave, I think people are looking for more things that they can relate to more, and that's why I think the Joker. And the Joker actually was just announced; it was the most profitable comic book film ever. Not didn't generate the most revenue, but it was the most profitable. Um, And you know, the other the other series that's out there right now is the John Wick series. John Wick, similar thing. You know, it's kind of crazy that you know he, he does what he does, but but it is believable. And and uh, we're timing for us couldn't be more perfect to create something that's, you know, there'll be some CGI because they have my characters have really cool gadgets, kind of like a James Bond or something like that. But it's not going to require, you know, they're not flying in, you know, in the way you think of the the superheroes fly. They'll have equipment that helps them do that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, timing, again, couldn't be more perfect. And the Joker, I thought, was the same thing is like we. I went to see it with a buddy of mine who actually is a writer uh, and he's a filmmaker. And we were actually, we were actually out there sit, we we came home, we're talking about the movie, which really, you know, I I thought about that movie a lot more. And he said to me, it was a neighbor walking up the street and the guy was, you know, to be honest, kind of like a nut. And he said to me, that guy could be the Joker. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. And I think that is why some people were disturbed by it because it really did, bring into light mental illness and you know i think a lot of emotion behind that from feeling sad for for the joker to for some people to be disturbed and alarmed and scared 
that that really that exists out there. You know, the fact that he, the fact that he couldn't get his meds anymore, um, that's when it all unraveled. You know, um, so I, I, yeah, I mean, we're we're really poised to to capitalize on that. You know, and hopefully we can in a big way, so we can you know we can you know you know finish the mission of creating this foundation that goes on forever. Absolutely. Well, you made a, a, a short movie, so tell us everyone about about that and where they can find that. Well, it's funny that short film was made on the smallest budget you can possibly imagine. It's called it's Unit and the, the number five Drift, and it's it's really it's it's almost a trailer for what could be a Netflix series. Um, like I said, it's made on a very short budget. Uh, features one of the characters. You, you get inside his head a little bit, and it's an adaptation of of who he is in the comic book. So when I say adaptation, it means, you know, and the, and the director, um, producer, my buddy, Brian Feraldo, who is also part of Unit 5, he's a partner in it, you know, that was his interpretation of how Drift should be. And he is very similar. He is all about justice. He is very admirable, but he's got a dark side to him. And uh, the short film, you'll see kind of like the Band of Brothers interviews, the very beginning of it, you'll see um, my buddy Charlie Wells and Jerry Robody, both retired, one from NYPD, one from the FDNY they talk about their 9-11 experience a little bit, which is kind of what's got me to think of my, my podcast, which will be out on the Earplug Podcast Network in geez, a few weeks to talk about 9-11. So that theme, the 9-11 theme, is pretty prominent in the short film. Um, it's pretty heavy. Um, it, gets you, it gets you thinking about, you know, it talks about, it's a little bit of an origin story about Drift and, and a little bit about the backstory of um of the 9-11 and then it also combines real life which is my two buddies that talked about their firsthand experiences um during 9-11 and um you know it, it's kind of strange because that film uh, we did win one award for i can't remember what the film fest but i never really did that again it's like there were a lot of things that could have happened with unit five over the past eight years that just didn't because of my circumstances um but everybody that's seen the short film thinks what is this a hundred thousand dollar budget? And I won't give away the real number, but it certainly wasn't that. But it's really well done and worth. It's only seven minutes, so I, you know, some people I send, I go, hey, watch this short film, and they're like, ah, I'll get to it. But I'm like, really, it's only seven minutes, and it is, it's definitely worth worthwhile. Plan, we have plans to do um, six more, and hopefully, once we upon funding, um, that will be origin stories for each each of the characters. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's some fight scenes, uh, two of my buddies who are actually, uh, one actually fought in UFC, actually just fought in Bellator. You know, I got some real guys fighting, uh, and it's pretty well choreographed. I mean, could we have done better? Absolutely. But for, for what it is, um, it, it gives you, it, it kind of enters or it gets you into the unit five world. And I've actually never heard anybody say it was a bad film. I've heard everyone that says it is, is nothing but complimentary. So yeah, if you Google unit five drift, um, or go to YouTube, type in unit five drift you can see the short like i said it's only seven minutes but certainly worth certainly worth watching brilliant well i'll put the link to that on the show notes for this episode as well so if you go to jamesgearing.com click on this podcast then uh it'll be there too sweet awesome yeah so i mean i like i said i would i would direct people to our social media too you know instagram is is at unit five comic book and then uh facebook is uh facebook.com forward slash unit five comic and i'm skip winter so uh, if you guys, if anybody wants to reach out to me directly, I'm always open to, you know, to me the, the, the most important thing about this is the, is the fan, um, and the fans and the first responders, you know, without, without either of them, we, we couldn't exist. 
Um, so I'm open, like I said, if anybody has, you know, once they ask me questions personally, I will always answer. I'm, I'm that guy, you know, we go to comic cons. I will, I'll sign books from, from the time the comic con opens till seven at night till last fan, the last fan gets a book. So we have a lot, we have a lot, we have a lot going on from graphic novels to, you know, uh, new comic books to video games and, you know, short films, all that kind of stuff. So just have to stay tuned for that. Brilliant. All right. Well then, so how can people listening help? Right now I'm doing a, uh, a GoFundMe. Um, and, uh, it's, I believe it's first responder, Unify first responder outreach. Um, and what that is going to enable me to do is continue doing my outreach or trips to, um, to, you know, first responder, police precincts, fire, firehouses. Um, and I've actually, people don't know this, but over the past 10 months, I made about 43 trips from Southern Maine to, um, to New York city, uh, driving. And, uh, you know, that's kind of right now how they can help is if they can help me do that, I can expand my reach. You know, the, the key is to, to, uh, engage, uh, and introduce, you know, more first responders, um, to the project and get their following and get their support. Um, but the, yeah, you know, if, if you can donate, great. If not, you can share the link. Um, and if not, you can just become a fan and spread the word. Um, you know, that would be, that'd be hugely helpful. And I'd like to, you know, I call it the unit five army, but you know, again, without, without that support, I mean, that's really what we need is to grow this fan base, you know, into the millions so that when we go to do our feature film or Netflix series, there's no question there, you know, the, the, you know, the big studios and things like that will, will want to be a part of it, but that's how immediately right now we could use help in funding the GoFundMe so I can keep doing what I'm doing. Um, and focus on it. You know, that's the other thing. I haven't been able to focus, really focus on this. Um, and that's that's the goal too. If I can really focus on this thing, I think the sky's the limit. Brilliant. Well, I hope this helps. I really do. Um, so one of my closing questions I always ask people, we talked about the comic. Are there books or a book that you love to recommend to people? It can be about what we've discussed or something completely different. Wow. You know... I, I, it's kind of funny, you know, I, I have, I, I tell people this, I, I'm open, I have, I have ADHD, so I don't watch, it's weird, I don't watch a ton of movies, I don't read a ton of books, but, you know, I can tell you my favorite book, and I, I would say my favorite book is, is, is uh, the Tolkien series, the, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings. I, I, you know, I just think it, it was so, it, it's really a work of art, and, uh, that you know it has really has nothing to do with what we're talking about but from a creative standpoint it was really well done if you haven't read it i i don't think i would go to my grave without reading that book you know and i don't know if that's the kind of answers you normally get but you know like i said i'm not a huge reader um i do you know i certainly read a lot do a lot of my i know a lot about 9-11 i do a lot of research on that because i can do that you know in 10 20 minutes and, and then i can i can my add can take me over to you know, watching birds out the window. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's my, I guess it, my favorite book is that is, is the Lord of the Rings, you know? So I don't, again, it's kind of an odd answer, but I think it, it that hasn't, that inspired me to write, uh, what I wrote intricately and, you know, com, you know, the complexity and, um, just the, the Tolkien was just incredibly creative. So I guess that's my answer. Yeah, no, and that's a great answer. I actually really loved the movies and I, I hadn't read the books. I was aware of them, obviously, but um, 
I don't know how that compares. I'm sure there's some things they did well, some things they didn't. But as someone who'd never even read the books, being led through the story with uh, some of the incredible cast that they had, I thought that the the movie versions were very good too. Oh, they did an amazing job. The first three, for sure. You know, and I'd say with comic books, most people don't read. You haven't picked up a Superman comic book and read it. You know, but but the movies and Batman or Batman, you know, but the movies are incredible. So. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where my stance on, on, the on a book or reading. Actually, you know what I should say? There's a, there's a book that the one that I would recommend, it's an older book that I would recommend everybody read. And it kind of talk, tells a lot of bit about who I am and being driven. It's the book called driven by Larry bird. I'm a huge sports fan. So, uh, it, yeah, it's a book called driven by Larry bird. It's older books, probably t- maybe 15, 20 years old now, but it just, it just talks about, you know, his, the diversity he, or the, the adversity that he went through. And, um, that's the kind of thing that motivates me is, um, and I'm motivated by a lot of things, particularly doing the right thing for some first responders, but book was, a, it was a good read, simple read too. So that's a good one to read. Excellent. All right. So then the same question, but a, a movie or documentary, do you have a favorite one of those? Wow. Uh, yes. Um, movie would be the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, great film. And uh, when people say, well, why is that? I, you know, it's about, it's about friendship to me. It's about true friendship and about, you know, owning up to, owing up to your word. You know, when, when you say you're going to do something, you do it and you have, and you have your brother's back. That's, that's why I think that's my, that's my favorite, you know, I'd say that's my favorite book. You know, and that's and then the other one I would say, which is a really odd one for me, which was actually my old ex-girlfriend kind of reminded me was Pretty Woman. And uh, that was an interesting movie for me because, you know, life is about, you know, uh, at the end of the day, it's who you loved and who who loved you. And and that movie was, you know, you get Richard Gere, this rich guy who pays this, you know, prostitute ends up falling in love with her despite of what she is. And I think. So a little glimpse into the side of, in, inside of me is is uh, about friendship and love, and that's that's really important. Those are two really important things to me. Yeah, I think they both. The underlying theme is don't be a prejudiced dickhole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. On both of them, that's that, true. People are people, and, and yeah, you know, that's right. Don't judge them by the cover. Right. Exactly. Bro. All right. Is there a documentary that you love? Ah, oh, let me see. I'd have to. Hmm. I can't say I could think of something off the top of my head, really. Um, I tend to watch, to, to be honest, I tend to watch a lot. My friend says I watch too much sports. Um, and I, I, you know, I watch, I like to watch the ESPN 30 for 30s. Uh, and honestly, there's one there that I would like. It's about the Boz, Brian Bosworth. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of those 30 for 30s. I, those are probably the, if you want to call them documentaries, they're the, they're my favorites. Any of the 30, the Christian Leitner one, uh, play for Duke basketball and everybody, I hate Christian Leitner. Like those, those to me and that, you know, sports are just, you know, the good thing about sports is that, uh, they're a, an escape from, for me, it's an escape from the real world, right? You know, it's, it's not, you know, turning on the news and seeing, you know, something bad, but you know, you're, you know, sports has always been an escape for me and having been an athlete, you know, that's I, I like, things that and i'm a thinker i tend to my brain goes never stop stops one of my good friends actually who's a professional athlete said to me he's like you don't have an off button do you i'm like no but the only time i really have an off button is when i'm either participating in some sort of you know i like when i write i can do that i can compartmentalize that but when i when i'm watching a sport 
or a story about somebody that inspires me. And, um, you know, athletes, a lot of the athletes, you know, that that's what it does for me. It just gives me that. There's my, there's my escapism. Brilliant. Excellent. All right. So then the next question, is there a person that you'd recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military and everyone else in the world? Absolutely. Uh, I've got a bunch of those guys, but I would probably say my buddy, Charlie Wells, who was the EMS chief um, at 9-11. Um, not that any of my other guys, Will Marins or Jim Scullion or Eric Colby. Actually, you know what? A really interesting one. I just had him on my show. And he's a very close friend of mine. His name is Eric Colby. He was a Coast Guard first responder. Um, and we talked about it. But, you know, 9-11 was the largest Marine um, rescue in history. 500,000 people came off the island. And he, and like I said, when you think of 9-11, you don't think of Coast Guard. You think of NYPD, FDMY, EM, you know, EMS. But no one thinks of the Coast Guard. And it was really riveting, the stuff that he was telling me. We he would be, and you could, I, we can set that up, no problem. But I would have Eric Colby on uh, in a second, and he also is, has massive PTSD from that, so he'd be worth certainly worth talking to. Absolutely, it's funny. My father-in-law is a, a career um, coastie as well, so I haven't had a coastie on yet. So that would be great. I could, I could check off two boxes at the same time. <laughs> yeah, he would be great. He'd be great. He's right. a great guy. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. All right. So then the last question before we just reiterate where people can find you. What do you do to decompress when you're not doing the uh, fire and police station visits and creating a comic book? I guess I got a big smile on my face because everybody knows that if you can't, if I'm not working on unit five or whatever, I'm at the gym. I, uh, I really, you know, it's, it's not just a physical thing for me, although it is, but it's also mental. It's been really the gym's my kind of my sanctuary. Um, and I, I just, I think, you know, trying to, to, as I get older to, to continue to be healthy, eat, eat well, you know, take care of my body, you only get one. And I think that, uh, I'm a little bit obsessed with it. And some people think that's a bad thing, but for me, it's really been some of those days when I went the dark days I went through with, with, you know, the divorce and that kind of stuff. And, you know, all the bad things, the gym's what gets me out of bed. And I go to the gym and I feel energized and, and refreshed and, you know, ready to kind of tackle the day, which is actually, that's probably where I'm going to go after this. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. I just came from the gym before we recorded, so I can totally relate. All right. So then the very last thing, let's just reiterate where people can find you and the project one sure. more time. Yep. Well, unit5comic.com uh, is the website, which will be, got to resolve that little bit of a uh, glitch there. Um, Instagram, it's at, uh, at unit five comic book and Facebook is facebook.com forward slash unit five comic. We're also on Twitter too, but I'm not a huge Twitter guy yet. Um, so yeah, but stay tuned because there's, I just, I'm actually, while we're talking, I've been getting texts from one of my partners about a meeting with the, uh, with that, uh, celebrity in December. So I'm, I'm, I didn't get to see them all. I only saw a part of it. So, um, but yeah, it's going to be, things are going to get pretty exciting. So you're kind of getting in on the ground floor of, what we think could be a next, you know, next big entertainment franchise. Brilliant. Well, and I love this, you know, obviously you reached out to me and, um, I, I, I call this an emotion project, you know, and I, and I love that this is, you know, a very unique as far as the stories I've had on, on the show, but you know, it's coming from a good place. And we talked before and I said, that's, that's my prerequisite. That doesn't matter if you're a Hollywood actor or a, you know, someone who works in my fire department, if, if it's if it's an altruistic project, if this person is trying to do something good in the world, then, you know, you have my complete support. And it sounds like, you know, the obviously the 
the business side has to be there to make a difference financially. But if you're taking the uh, the altruistic project along with you, and as you grow, it grows, and I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I appreciate. I definitely appreciate that. We need all all the support we can get. I think, like you said, we'll be able to do once we can grow this business. We'll be able to do a lot more. You know, around the country and around the world. Really, that's kind of my plan. Is just to you know to uh, to help people in any way I can. Um, particularly first responders. And, and the other side too is, is I'm very, my father passed the cancer, so I didn't mention that, but I, I try to do a lot for, you know, anybody who's battling cancer or post nine 11 illness it doesn't have to be not nine 11 related, but you know, cancer is a, is a big soft spot for me. Um, and I'll do anything I can to, uh, to help, you know, first responders and people battling, really battling cancer because they're, the, they're the real heroes to me. 